millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to Neon, the podcast that takes pop culture and reveals the real history behind it. I'm Jem Daduchu, and this time round I'm doing Game of Thrones. Now, just in case you've been binging previous episodes of Neon, you might be sitting there going, hang on, haven't you already done Game of Thrones? Well, yeah, there's a lot of it, and we are now currently in the midst of season eight it's the end of everything fever don't worry no major spoilers going on but i will be talking about if you like the political climate of season eight but i won't be saying anything about uh, it was all a dream or the butler did it that those two things are completely made up so the first time around with game of thrones i talked a little bit more about the setting talking about how the wall is riffing on things like hadrian's wall that the fight is a little bit like the War of the Roses, but actually isn't. Uh, please do go back and have a listen to that one if you if you haven't. But this time round, I'm going to compare Game of Thrones with the Western Roman Empire, the Eastern Roman Empire, and the Crusader States. You've been here for three and a half hours. Now, how many different ways do you want me to tell the same story? Notice anything unusual about Santa Carla yet? No. It's a pretty cool place. I'm impressed. How many questions does it usually take to spot? As your leader, I encourage you from time to time, and always in a respectful manner, to question my logic. Now to run a computer check on this tape and the professor. Dodge this. The tracks go off in this direction. Welcome to part one of the Game of Thrones podcast. This is for series eight, and don't worry, there won't be any spoilers. Part two will be coming up in a few days' time. When it comes to the end of an era, what I find fascinating is the way that nobody wants to try and sort it out. That there are clear moments where if people had been a little more selfless or who, you know, could put two and two together and work out it makes four, that disaster could have been either averted or at very least delayed. But there does seem to be a very human element about how 
oh, if it's all going to hell in a handbasket, so long as I can make this work for me, that's okay. And there are some fascinating examples of this where I have sat there and virtually screamed at history books as I've been reading them going, why? Why can't you go and get it all sorted out? And I wanted to share some of those because in season eight, indeed in season seven of Game of Thrones, so really you, you should be up to date with this, by finally, look, the very first scene in episode one of Game of Thrones is some members of the Black Watch, uh, Night's Watch, sorry, who come across a White Walker. And in the first two, three series, there are sort of echoes of, you know, there's this undead army that's growing. But really, they are moving at a most ridiculously slow pace. And it really is only from the second half of these TV series that they start becoming a serious problem. And at the end of season seven, or if you like, a key part of season seven is to convince everybody south of the wall that these monsters are real and they're coming. And we need to unify to stop them. Because the one thing we all have in common is we're all alive. And the one thing we have in common is they want to kill everybody. So there is no actual equivalent of that clearly in reality. But when you have these crumbling empires and these squabbling houses, it fascinates me. It's like if you guys just sorted it all out, you'd be able to probably get away with a victory here. But no, your personal animosity is more important than the existential crisis your empire or your lands are in. And I just find that fascinating as an idea. And indeed, in, in season seven, there's a whole mission, very cool mission, where, for want of a better, for, for want of a summary, Jon Snow grabs one of these White Walkers, zombies in essence, and brings them down south to say, look, these things are real. I wanted to start with the one that you all know about, the, the Roman Empire, uh, the Western Roman Empire, because... Really, by the late Roman Empire, even by then, you get an emperor like Diocletian who understands that really you need to split. The empire is so vast, you need to split it in two. There need to be two capitals, Rome and Constantinople. And those two need to be, you know, they there may be an, an ultimate emperor, but really the local lords, the local rulers, the local emperors need to sort out immediate problems. Because let's face it, if, if you're in Rome and there is an uprising in Syria, it's going to take weeks for you to find out about it. It is going to take you months to pull together some troops. And then it's going to take you weeks, months to get that army over to Syria. And that's if you're in Rome. What happens if you're off campaigning in the Rhine area and there's a sort of revolt in Egypt? What I find fascinating is in the very tail end of the Western Roman Empire, the amount of emperors who either come from or were born or their power base was Britain. That, quite frankly, if you look at the, the sort of the chronicles of the time, you know, Britain was kind of seen like the Eastern Front in World War II. I mean, you know, that's perhaps a bit of an extreme, but it clearly wasn't the most opulent area. But it had really good horsemen. It had, you know, tough locals. And, and therefore, it seemed to be a natural power base. You know, the 
Constantine the Great. You know, he was spent many of his uh, early years in northern England, which you just don't expect. I guess technically you could argue he would have had a Leeds accent, except this is way before the era of Leeds. But uh, I digress. You, you get the idea. But you have all this fighting over and over again. Now, sort of quite famously, if you're British, you'll know that in the end of the Roman era was in 410 AD when the Roman legions left. Except that isn't actually what was happening. The idea was never they're going and they're never coming back again. The idea was, well, at that point, they were just the, the Roman Empire was just lurching from civil war to civil war. And so the peripheries, well, you're on your own. But in this particular civil war, there was uh, a Roman general whose power base was Britain, who took the legions from, from Britain and went on to try and fight and conquer Rome. Failed, at which point the legions weren't necessarily disbanded, but things were moved around and yeah, they never came back again. Now we know that, but in 410 AD, we, we didn't know that. And what's interesting is that about a generation later, you get a complaint from Britain to Rome um, we're talking in the 420s uh, AD, basically saying, you know, why, if you're not going to give us the support, why should we stop? Why, why should we pay you taxes? Which does, I mean, we're getting that from the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, notoriously shaky in its history, the further back you go from the year 800 AD. Um, but, I mean, there does seem to, you know, people didn't instantly stop being Roman citizens. And what happened really was a little bit later on from that, from the 450s onwards, the 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 British um, and that, what I mean by that is largely um, the the uh, largely the Welsh and the English um, although even the word English comes from the Angles the Angles Jutes and Saxons but basically the locals decided to start using mercenaries Germanic mercenaries the Angles Jutes and Saxons and they basically arrived and went okay well let's just take it <laughs> and it was a a corporate takeover in, in essence but what you've got is you know so you get towards the end of the Roman era in Britain in the early 400s. But there was still very much a Roman Empire. The whole of Italy, large swathes of France and uh, you know, other areas were still under the Roman Empire at that time. It hadn't finished yet. But what you get is one ineffectual ruler after another ineffectual ruler. And at certain points, you know, the idea of the legions really is dead by now. And what they're using is Germanic mercenaries who are being paid in, uh, basically in land. And the idea is, why don't you come in? Why don't you take over Eastern France? And why don't you, you know, France is called, at that time was called Gaul. The Gauls were a Celtic tribe that going way, way back when Rome was very young, was actually attacked and sacked by the Gauls. It was something that Julius Caesar, when he conquered Gaul, it was kind of seen as cosmic payback, as it were. And that happened centuries later. And I'm now fast forwarding another 500 odd years. And so Gaul is the original name of France. Where does France get its name from? From the Franks. The Franks aren't French. They became French, but the Frankish tribes come from modern-day Germany. So the French are actually German. What are the Germans? The Germanic tribes came from the east. They would be 
central european sort of ukrainian belarusia today modern day and so the germans are ukrainian the french are german it all gets very complicated okay but it does show you that there's just this implosion and just because we now have a collapse of roman rule in britain does not mean there's a collapse of roman rule full stop and and when we talk about the fall of rome well, it actually got sacked multiple times in the 400s and 500s. But what's interesting is that towards the tail end of the Roman Empire, the Romans realized they couldn't hold on to Rome anymore. So when Rome finally fell to the barbarians, well, it wasn't the capital city of, of the Roman Empire anymore. That was a place called Ravenna, which is in northeastern Italy, which is surrounded by marshland, so it's very hard to sort of besiege, but also had great water networks to the far more healthy Eastern Roman Empire. Now, the Eastern Roman Empire is generally seen by the West as kind of sniffy. It doesn't count somehow. But why? Um, well, I can tell you a little bit why, and this is where we're leading into both the Eastern Roman Empire and also a little bit into the Crusades as well, because exactly when the Roman Empire end, ended is very hard to say. Well, it's the, the fall of Rome, except you still have Constantinople ruling. Well, they weren't particularly Roman, really. They spoke Latin. You know, when, at the time Rome fell, the lingua franca in the Eastern Roman Empire was still Latin and not Greek. That came later. And you do have a little bit of a resurgence of the Eastern Roman Empire under the, uh, under the Emperor Justinian and under his great general Belisarius, who reconquered most of Northern, North Africa and indeed recaptured Rome for a time and conquered most of Italy. Belisarius himself was so formidable to the local sort of Germanic tribes that they in essence turned round to him and said, do you, do you want to just become our king? But what's interesting is the the very last Western Roman emperor was a, a, a he was a boy, nothing more than a boy, and he was called um, Little Romulus, uh, Romulus Augustulus, and there was this legend that said the founder of the Roman Empire would be called Romulus, and the person who ended the last emperor would be called Romulus, which discounts Justinian, who was also to the east and not yet born and all that kind of stuff. But anyway. What's interesting is the Ostrogoths, Osric of the Ostrogoths, actually deposed this boy king, boy emperor, and he, this new sort of uh, uh, local chieftain, he created the title of King of Italy. Because by then, the Roman Empire, at least in the West, was a nonsense, was a nothing. It meant nothing anywhere anymore. And so let's sweep out the old and bring in the new. But what's interesting is again and again with these Frankish invasions, with these Gothic invasions, with the Vandals coming in, you do not see a, unifi a unification of all the Roman territories to resist. It's a case of, oh, well, Gaul's in trouble. I don't care. I'm running Spain. Maybe if they uh, if they're distracted in France, I will Gaul. I will be okay in Spain, Iberia. So there is this very human. If you're sitting there going, come on, why don't they all unify? So going back to Game of Thrones, episode one, season eight, you still got, you know, in King's Landing, you, you've still got the uh, the Lannisters basically, sort of sitting there going. Um, you know, no, let, let the North sort it all out. I mean, this was explicitly said in season seven. It's like they let the North fight these um, these these White Walkers and then whoever's left will finish the job. 
uh, as it were. And in the north, they're all up in arms going to Jon Snow going, you were made king of the north and now you've bent the knee to Daenerys Targaryen. And, uh, you know, and he goes, but I'm doing it to save the north. He's actually, in that respect, historically unrealistic. He's done the right thing. He said, look, I don't care about being king because if we don't beat this, we all die. Okay. And he goes, and I did it to bring in reserves and, and resources. And look, I've brought two armies and two dragons. So pretty good argument, really. But you can see this kind of pig-headed stubbornness from the locals going, yes, but we don't know her. We know you. We want you. And it's sort of like, it is more complicated than that but they don't want to listen, which is exactly what happened to the Roman era. Now, let's go to the West, sorry, the Eastern Roman Empire. So as I said, there was this big renaissance under the Emperor Justinian. Uh, he created and built the Hagia Sophia, the San Sophia. Uh, it was for nearly a thousand years, the world's largest cathedral. And then he was a Latin speaking, sort of great person. Uh, the, the, the San Sophia was then turned into a mosque under the when the Ottomans captured it in 1453. And then it was uh, turned into a museum in the 1920s. So yes, it's now sort of like open to all with both iconography from its Christian past and its Muslim past as well. Let's not go down that path. But if you if you turn around and go, oh yeah, what did the Byzantines ever build? Try that. Try the, the world's largest cathedral for a thousand years. OK, how, how about that? It's pretty darn impressive. Uh, how impressive? Here's a good story. So the Russians wanted to unify themselves and they figured the best thing they could do is unify themselves under a single religion. And so they sent messengers out to see what they could find. And the messenger who went to Constantinople walked into San Sophia and basically said it was as if I was walking into heaven itself. And that is why Russia picked Orthodox Christianity rather than Catholic Christianity, which is affecting, you know, the, the world to this day. You know, Russia and Serbia look to the East for their Christianity and not to Rome. Um, so that shows you how important and how impressive that structure was. OK, um, so, yes, the, the for a time and certainly longer than the Western Roman Empire, the Eastern Roman Empire survived. It had its ups and downs and its kind of last glory days were in the 700s under Heraclius, who was the last emperor. He, he actually came to, to power in a coup himself, but he pulled together the power of the church and the power of the forces. And he managed to push back the uh, Zoroastrian Persians. He even destroyed the Persian Empire. This is something that the Roman Empire in its prime was unable to do. And he was able to finally sort that out. Um, and, and so Heraclius was, if you like, the last hussar of the Eastern Roman Empire. Now, it was still within his lifetime towards the end of it. You then get the explosion of Islamic conquest coming out of the Arabian Peninsula. But it is worth pointing out that up until that point, for the previous thousand years, give or take, of the Roman Empire, not once had there been a major military threat from the Arabian Peninsula. It was a place where camels lived, and that was about it. So to blame Heraclius for not anticipating this is wrong. And the, yes, the expansion of the original, I understand how this is dripping with modern day other meanings, but the original caliphate spread from Arabia as far as southern France to the west and as far as Pakistan to the east 
in the space of just a single generation. A remarkable explosion of conquest and power. And there wasn't an awful lot that any of the uh, powers in the West could have done about that. It really was exceptional. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.